Well, hey, we are glad that you are here today. And uh, again, if you're new, we just want to pray that, uh, that you feel loved and encouraged today. We love new people uh, at Hope. So if we haven't had a chance to meet you yet, would love uh, to do that and, and glad that you're here. Uh, we really do believe when we say that, we believe it's no accident that you're here. Uh, I believe that. I believe that God brought you to this place, this time, for a very specific purpose. And so maybe if you've been coming for a while and you're just kind of checking things out, maybe today's the day to jump in. Maybe if, even if it's your first time here, maybe God's just saying, okay, enough with playing life on the sidelines. Maybe it's just time to jump in. So I want to encourage you to do that today and just open up your heart today to whatever God uh, has for you. So I want to tell you a quick story. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I was hanging out with a, uh, a friend of mine and who happens to be a pastor at another church here in town because pastors, well, we don't have any friends, so we just have to hang out with each other. Uh, I'm joking. That's not true. Some of you are like, I'm really concerned about it. That's not true. We have friends. Uh, but uh, he's a good guy, and we, get, we hang out once in a while. So we're driving in the car, and uh, we're on our way to lunch, and we're just hanging out. And so the, the conversation naturally goes to what's going on in our churches. And so he starts sharing about his church, and so I'm encouraging him and, and pray for him and, and all that, kind of build him up. And he says, well, how about you? And I just start going off about y'all. I just start bragging, and I'm just a chatty Kathy. And on and on and on I go uh, about how great you are and all the things I love about this church. And before I know it, I'm just going on and on and on. I totally lose track of time, and I totally miss the turn. Like, I was supposed to turn here to the right, and I went like three blocks ahead. And you know how, like, you kind of know each other, but you're not great friends yet before you can call each other an idiot? Uh, so at... at Stopping short of that, he said, oh, John, do you know that you completely just missed our turn? I'm like, oh, sorry. I was just going on and on and on, uh, yakking about how great you are as a church. And so I have to do a U-turn, and I'm kind of embarrassed and things like that. And he just looks at me as a good friend does, and he said, John, okay, three things. Number one, you're terrible at multitasking. And I said, yes, I'm a male. Uh, can't drive and talk at the same time. Got to focus on one thing. Uh, number two, he said, um, uh, do you realize that you basically talked for eight minutes straight about the people of your church? And I said, yes, okay, I probably rambled on a little bit. And then he looks at me and he says with this great big smile, he says, John, do you know that you have a great church? Like he's been hearing some things about us and kind of knows what's going on. He said, do you know you have a great church? And it just kind of hit me. Like it, I'd thought about this before. I think about you a lot. I hope that's not creepy, but I think about you a lot as a church, as, uh, as pastors often do. And I said, you know what? That's really, really true. And so I responded to him and I said, yes, I'm not good at multitasking. Number two, yes, I got long-winded. And number three, you better believe I have a great church. You better believe it. And then I said, just to clarify, I know that you didn't mean this, but it's not my church. It's not your church. It's God's church, right? It's his church. It always has and it always will be. And he's the reason that we celebrate today. And so I just want to say that to you, that I really believe that we have a great church and it has nothing to do with us <laughs> and it has everything to do with him. And so we have much reason to celebrate today. It is our fourth birthday. Uh, four years ago on the, the first uh, weekend of June, a uh, random group of people in here that for some reason thought it'd be good to start a church in an elementary school. We're sitting in here in those cold, hard folding chairs. You know what I'm talking about? You've got these, they're pretty bouncy, aren't they? They feel pretty good. We are all faced this way and it kind of felt like a bad school assembly or something like that. And there's some 
some weird little punk 25-year-old preacher that had his khaki pants and his little tie on. He thought he was pretty big stuff trying to give a sermon down there. I don't know what that was all about, but boy, we've come a long ways, and aren't we thankful for that? And uh, so we celebrate that today, and that God has been active and moving over the last four years, and uh, I was thinking about that this past week, and I wanted to uh, dig into some of my favorite theologians, and I I found this great passage from one of the world's great theologians, Ferris Bueller. Um, Maybe some of you have heard of him. Uh, The movie Ferris Bueller's Day Off is not exactly a highly theological movie, but there is one quote that I think really makes sense for where we're at as a church today, and it's Ferris skips school, he takes a day off, and at the end of the movie, he says this, you know, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you just might miss it. You just might miss it. And how true is that? Life moves so fast, whether your kids are growing up and going to college, or maybe you are those kids that are going to college, or maybe the summer is just flying by and you're worried you might miss it, or whether you're thanking God for his church. Sometimes it's important to party. Sometimes it's important to slow down and celebrate and thank God for what he's doing. And that's exactly what Paul is doing in our scripture today in Romans. So if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open up to Romans chapter 1, verse 8. And that's where we're going to start today. Paul is very, very thankful because he's got a great church as well. And he's thankful for the church in Rome. And so today we're starting a brand new sermon series called Paul's Letter to the Romans. The last couple months we've been in Acts and now we're in Romans. And you remember Paul, we met him in Acts, and now he's the Apostle Paul. God intervened in his life. He was persecuting Christians. God dramatically changes, his, turns his world upside down. And now that Bible that you hold in your hands this morning, this Paul, the same guy is responsible for about the back third of it. He wrote a lot of it, inspired by God. So thank God that he intervened in Paul's life. And so Paul is writing to an early church, very similar to us, a young church, um, you guessed it, the church of Rome. And so Paul's writing to these fellow believers, these people that he uh, once knew when he started this church, and now he's writing a letter to them. And I want to start in verse 8. And Paul kind of echoes my heart today. Paul says this, and my translation may be a little different than yours, but Paul says, first, I thank my God through Christ Jesus for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. And I think that scripture is very, very appropriate today for our birthday, for our fourth birthday as a church, because I want to echo that. I want to echo Paul's heart to you and say to you this morning, not as the church of Rome, but as the church of Des Moines, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for every single one of you, for your faith is being become known around the world. And maybe not the world as in overseas, but in this little corner of the world, in this mission field, in this city that God's calling us to, you're becoming known for things. I don't know if you know that, but word is getting out about you. Uh, A couple weeks ago, you may remember we did this crazy thing called Surf Sunday, and we gathered for worship, and then I told all of you to leave. Um, Some of you were here for that, some of you weren't, but we went out in the neighborhood, and we did all sorts of projects and just served hundreds of people, and we continue continue to hear stories of what God did. We continue to get thank you notes and emails and letters and all sorts of things saying, this is how you made an impact. And one person wrote, really? (laughs) You really just left? I can't believe a church would actually do that. I can't believe a church would actually take the time and have the faith to step outside of their comfort zones and serve the neighborhood on a Sunday morning. 
How crazy is that? And I said, well, I don't, it's not too crazy for us. It's pretty normal, right? That's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to be as the church. And so we think back on, on that and we have so much to be thankful for and what God is doing in life groups and, and uh, the way that disciples are being made here. Word is getting out about you. You're becoming known as a church, I believe, for the things that a church is supposed to be known for. That's why Paul writes to the church at Rome and he says, people are hearing about the Rome church, that these are people that have faith. These are people whose, whose lives are spiritually vibrant. They're growing. They're alive. And that's what I want to say to you today as well. But I want to ask you a question. What do you think Hope Des Moines is known for? What do you think we're known for? When you think of it, there's lots of different things a church could be known for, right? We could be known for our worship band. We could be known for our donut holes, which I know we are. Uh, we could be known for the, the size or how nice the building is. Uh, some churches are known for how hip and trendy their pastors are. And if that's the case, boy, we're in deep trouble. Um, that's not going to work out really well. But I wonder, what would it look like for us as a church to be known for our power? For our power. Now, I'm not talking about like our power, like how strong we are. But what if we were known for a power that's bigger than us? For a power outside ourselves? Well, I couldn't help but think of this sermon. I couldn't help but think about the power of the gospel without thinking about a few people that have been in the news recently that know a lot about real power. I mean, superpower, and they happen to be responsible for the biggest box office opening weekend in movie history. You know them as the Avengers. So just a reminder about what real power is, let's take a look. We are at war. We need a team. Let's do a head count. A super soldier. The demigod. Of master assassins. And there's me. I have an army. We have a Hulk. Shit. There you go. Doesn't it just get your blood boiling? Some of you are like, I'm going to leave church right now. I got to go see the movie. Um, Here's the thing. When I watched that movie, every single one of these characters, you might remember them from the Marvel comics growing up, and now they're all in this movie together, all these superheroes. But the thing that I noticed when I watched this movie, every single one of them is ordinary without their superpower, right? If you take that away, if you take away their cape or their costume or their special weapon or anything like that, they're not much. They're ordinary people if you take away their power. And in the same way, that's what Paul is saying in our scripture today. Paul says, I can't keep quiet about the church. I can't keep quiet about this power that's beyond me, that's bigger than me that I've discovered. And this is what Paul says about that power. Let's read this together in uh, chapter 1, verse 16. Let's read it together. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Paul is saying, who cares about the Avengers? I've discovered a real power. I've discovered a power that you don't, have to, uh, you don't have to earn. You don't have to go find it. You don't have to have a special suit or tights or a cape or have a special weapon to access it. It can live inside of you. Paul's saying, it's, well, it's living inside of me. This power of the gospel of this guy named Jesus Christ that came, who died and rose again to offer us life that's what the book of Romans is about, is experiencing the power of the gospel. 
Because if you don't hear anything else I say this morning, hear this. The gospel matters today. The gospel matters today more than you could ever imagine. And so here in just chapter one, as we start off this series today, I think there's three key reasons that Paul gives us of why the gospel matters today. And it's a power that's greater than any power the world could offer. It's a power greater than anything the Avengers could come up with on their own strength. It's the power of Jesus Christ. So let's start and let's look at the first one in in verse 11. So that's where we're going to start today is verse 11. Paul says to his church family in Rome, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Faith. So Paul is saying to the church, when I eventually get there, I'm writing a letter to you now, but when I get there, when we meet together, whether it's in homes or for worship in the temple, something incredible is going to happen and I can't wait. When we gather together, we're going to experience Jesus in a way that we never could alone. And the reason for that is the power of the gospel matters, first of all, because it lives in us. Do you believe that this morning? I know it's kind of a big thing to get your head around. The same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives in you today. Try to get your head around that one. I'm still trying to figure that out, right? That's just beyond my comprehension, right? That power, that salvation power lives in us today. The gospel matters because it lives in us. And when we gather together, We are mutually encouraged because he lives in you and he lives in me and something incredible happens when we gather together here for fellowship and for worship and the way scripture talks about it is this iron sharpening iron. It uses this deep word for this fellowship that we have as brothers and sisters in Christ as we come together. It's called koinonia. Say koinonia. It's it's the Greek word for fellowship, but it's not like sipping coffee in, in the church social hall or something like that. It's much deeper than that. And that's what Paul is talking about here, that we could be mutually encouraged, that we have the power to speak words of life into people. We have the power to challenge people. We have the power to give a hug or a high five or a listening ear. It's why we say Sundays here in worship are a get to, not a got to, right? Right? If your thinking is, I got to go to church, I should go to church, then our thinking is wrong. I know I've said this before and I might get in trouble. We say should a lot, right? We should all over ourselves, right? Should, 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 right? Don't should on yourself. Say, I get to. I not, I should, I get to go to worship. We get to, we get to experience Jesus together. The author of Hebrews puts it this way, and let's read this together uh, from Hebrews. He gives this encouragement to us as the church. Let's read this nice and loud. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more. Now, I don't know if you know this, but one of the ways that we encourage each other around here a lot is high fives. And you might think, John, you're kind of obsessed with the high five. And here's why. The high five is much more than a high five. Somebody told me in between services, if you never want to miss when you're at Hope Des Moines and you're given a high five, just look at the other person's elbow right? You'll never miss. Just focus on the elbow, right? The reason we do that, number one, is because I like to make you feel uncomfortable, right? I love watching some of you get out of your comfort zones because you like do the high five and like, should I shake? I'm in church. I shouldn't get too excited. So I just kind of, and then your high five is kind of like that and you kind of brush. Give somebody a high five. I mean, just really hit them hard. You know what I mean? That's what I want to encourage you to do. And number two, 
it's much more than a high five. The reason we do that is because I wonder, how many high fives do you get during the week? Not very many, right? The world has a way of sucking life out of us. The world has a way of beating us down. Life is hard. So when you come here and we experience this fellowship that Paul's talking about, we want to mutually encourage each other. So when you're giving that simple high five, it's much more than just a hand on hand. You're saying, I believe in you. You're saying, I'm encouraging you. You're saying, keep the faith, keep going. No matter what's going on, it's okay because I'm going through it too. And we have this deep connection that you can only get here. You can't get that with your buddies at the golf course. You can't get that in your social club. You can't get that with just your friends that you hang out on Friday night. Yes, that's friendship. But something incredible happens when the body of Christ gathers. And it's a deeper fellowship than you'll ever be able to experience anywhere else if you let yourself go a little bit. If you open yourself up to koinonia. And so that's why we do high fives. One, I like to make you feel uncomfortable. And two, it's good for us. We need to be mutually encouraged. What if our attitude when we walked in those doors every single week was, uh, was not, what can I get out of it today? But what can I bring today? What can I bring to the koinonia today? Who needs a hug? Who needs a shoulder to cry on? Who needs a high five, right? That's koinonia. That's that deeper fellowship we're talking about. So the power of the gospel matters because it lives in us. And secondly, the power of the gospel matters because I think it revolutionizes our worship. Something incredible happens. I don't know if you felt this, but the reason I love our worship band so much is because they just do a good job of getting out of the way and leading us into the presence of God. I don't know if you felt that when we were singing this morning. Your love never fails, never runs out, it never gives up on me. Something happens where our spirits connect with each other that you can't get doing that alone in your living room, right? And if you sing like me, it's not pretty, right? You're alone there in your living room. Your love never fails, never give up on me, right? Do you hear yourself worship? It's absolutely incredible. God does something here among us and you're singing that. And I don't know if you've ever had one of these moments in worship where you're singing these words and then you kind of catch yourself and say, do I believe that? What if I really believed in the depths of my heart that his love never gives up on me? that it never fails, that there's nothing that will ever be able to separate me from his love. The reason it's important that you're here to experience that together every single week is because even if you doubt it, you can hear the voices of your brothers and sisters in Christ around you singing the same thing. And you kind of look around and you go, you know what? Not everything is perfect in their life either. But God is still worthy of our worship. Is God still worthy of your worship even if everything's not going okay in your life? Even if God hasn't given you everything that you want? Is that what worship is? Whether I feel like it or not? How good the worship band is? Is that what it is? No, Paul's talking something about something much deeper here. I love what King David says about this too. If you ever get a chance to read the Psalms, read the Psalms. They're amazing. And Dave, David's reflecting on his worship. David's a grown man. He's a grown, mature adult man. He's the king of Israel. He's a man's man. Boy, but he's a worshiper. He loves God. And he's reflecting on his worship in uh, Psalm 42. And David says this. Let's read this together. 
Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. David says, and I think Paul would agree with him in our scripture today, when you experience the power of God, something deep in you calls out in something deep to God. Your spirit connects with God's spirit. I wonder what if worship for you would be more like standing under a waterfall and just experiencing the presence of God? What if that was worship rather than kind of looking around and wondering what people think? Wondering if you're singing right or not. Later on in verse 16, in uh, Romans chapter 1, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. And I just have a feeling that if Paul was here today and he was talking to us about worship and what the gospel means, Paul would say, you know what? There's just something inside me that finally said, I don't care what people think. I don't care if people think I'm getting too overly excited or too overly emotional. If people think I'm some crazy Christian because of the way that I worship. It's what you were created to do. It's what I was created to do, Paul says. I don't care if people think I'm, I'm overly dramatic. Because when I experience the power of the gospel, my posture, my posture when I come into worship becomes, God, I want whatever you have for me. Paul has this posture in chapter one. He just says, God, I'm, I'm open. I'm not ashamed. I don't care what anybody else thinks. I want everything that you have. What's your posture in worship recently? Not just like your physical posture, but what's the posture of your heart? What do you hope to experience when you come here every single week? I was thinking about this um, posture and uh, last year, I can't remember exactly what it was, but I was a guest speaker in a college classroom. And boy, let me tell you, these, these kids are so young, right? I tell you, I just, I'm becoming an old man. I'm looking out there saying, you're like 13, aren't you? And like, no, I'm a junior in college. Oh my word. And some of you older adults are saying, John, you have no idea. Get a hold of yourself. Um, but seriously, I'm looking out at these college students and they have terrible posture, both physically, right? They're slumped in their chairs and it's like, who wants to be in a college religion class, right? And some hear some boring Lutheran pastor talk about Martin Luther, right? So that's what we're doing and they're slunched and they got their hoodies over them. And they're kind of slunched down in their chairs and some are sleeping and have their arms like this and some are doing this thing. Did you ever do that in college? Like, I'm really looking at the book, but actually I'm sleeping, you know? Did you ever do that one? Their posture is terrible. Not only their physical posture, but I could tell the posture of their hearts. It's not in it, right? And it got me thinking, my, how far these college students have come from when they were little kids and they were so excited to be at school. Do you ever notice that? Like on our first service, we dismiss our, our uh, kids for Kingdom Quest. And I say, okay, kids, grades pre-K through grades five can head on out. And you should see these kids. They just like pop up from the chairs and I can just see them. They go, oh! I'm so excited for Kingdom Quest and they just run and that's what it's like. Think about when you start in kindergarten and the teacher is taking attendance, right? And they're looking, okay, uh, little Johnny is little Johnny here today and you're just sitting in your seat like, oh, I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited for pre-K. I'm so excited for preschool, right? And then a couple years go on and it's fifth grade and not so little Johnny anymore and, you know, little Johnny's sitting there and the teacher's taking attendance and, uh, okay, uh, little Johnny, yeah, I'm here. I'm kind of excited. I'm still kind of nervous because I'm going through puberty, right? And so then you wait a couple more years and then you get to high school and it's like, okay, little Johnny, yo, right? That's high school and then you get to college and they're taking attendance and like, okay, little Johnny, 
and there's no little Johnny, right? Teachers, you know what I'm talking about? Just my how things change from little kindergartners all the way to college. But I wonder, what's your posture like these days? Not like, are you sitting up or not? What's the posture of your heart? <laughs> when you come into worship every week and you encounter God, do you say to God, yeah, I'm so excited to be here, I can't wait. Maybe not every week, but for some of you, unfortunately, it's, yeah, present, but that's about it. I don't really expect much. I don't really expect to learn anything. Or for some of you, it's, yo, I'm here, right? But I don't really expect to encounter God, I'm just really here to put in my time, to just kind of go through the motions. What if worship was so much more than that? What if you came in those doors every single week with this expectation that you knew you were going to experience the power of God? What if this wasn't just a social gathering? What if it wasn't just a sing-along for some songs for an hour? God is present, and we experience him in a powerful way through Worship, And so I just want to challenge you a little bit. I just want to encourage you this morning. If that's not the case for you, ask God to change the posture of your heart in worship. Is it this? Or is it this? Is it this? Or is it this? What's the posture of your heart in worship? What if the band plays a wrong note? What if the words aren't up on the screen, right? What if you don't know the song? What if there's no clapping? Do you know what to do? Is there something else going on? Is that the show? Or is this love affair between you and your Savior, is that the show? Is that what's really important? Not what's going on up here, what's going on here. That's what really matters. Now, if you think about that, if you wanted to, you could avoid those first two reasons I gave you that the gospel matters. You could say, ah, I get this whole koinonia, we should encourage each other thing, you know, but I'd rather just kind of come and put in my time. And you say, you know, I, John, I get the whole worship thing, but I'm just not really an emotional person, so I'm just going to kind of put in my time Sunday after Sunday and just do that. But the last reason I want to give you this morning that the gospel matters is something that none of us can avoid. And it's found here again in verse 16. So look back uh, at the bottom of your page of verse 16. Paul says this. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God, and listen to this, that brings salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel matters because it always brings the power of salvation. The saving work of Jesus Christ on the cross that saved you from the power of sin and death. No matter how strong you are, no matter how accomplished you are, no matter how long you've been a part of the church, no matter how many Bible studies you've led or been a part of, no matter how good your attendance is, you can't defeat the power of sin and death on your own. That's why the gospel matters. That's why Jesus matters. That's why it's the greatest news that we could ever here. And still some of you are sitting saying, John, okay, I get that. I get the salvation thing. I prayed the prayer. I surrendered my life. I've done that. And so I think this whole salvation thing, it's, it's old news. And yet for some reason, it doesn't take long to look around our city. It doesn't take long to look in our families. It doesn't take long to even look throughout the church 
and realize there's some saving that needs to take place. We need saving every day from ourselves. It doesn't take long to look and see, and this is not in some judgmental way, this is just the reality. It doesn't take long to see Christian marriages that are really, really struggling and are barely hanging on. It doesn't take long to see Christian men and women that are fighting addictions in this church that have gone through recovery and keep falling back into it again. Christian men and women, just like you and I, ordinary people that have these ugly sins or these ugly uh, habits in their life that we just can't get over. Paul says later on in the, in the book, uh, in chapter 8, he says, why do I keep doing the things I hate? <laughs> you ever wondered that? This is who God's called me to be as a man or woman, but yet I keep falling back into these same things over and over. Maybe salvation isn't just a one-time thing. Maybe you and I need saving every single day. There's a fancy church word for that, and it's called sanctification. <laughs> it's this process of Jesus coming and invading every single area of our lives. A salvation for today. And I think that's what Paul is saying. I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of Jesus Christ for salvation. I need a Jesus for today. <laughs> I need a salvation for today. I don't know about you, but I need a gospel for today that's real and relevant to my life that's not sitting on a dusty bookshelf in a, in a Bible. What about it today? So sometimes we need saving from ourselves. Sometimes it's the, the bad things we get into and sometimes often it's the good things. A lot of times we run to these good things, these, these sports or hobbies or social gatherings that we think are going to fill us up. Maybe it's TV, maybe it's Facebook. What are those things that you're running to and you always come up empty? We live in a culture today that is filled with so many distractions, so many things that compete for our time and our energy, especially in the summer. It's a really difficult time. Our schedules change. We kind of get off rhythm a little bit. And I, I don't know what summer means for you, but we kind of have this tendency to think, well, things are kind of shutting down everywhere else in my life. And so I'm just going to go ahead and kind of shut down my relationship with God. I'm just going to kind of take the summer off. But I want you to hear this morning, God doesn't take the summer off. <laughs> so neither should we. He has incredible things in store for us this summer, but what happens is some of these habits that we get into as a little kid, it's like, I'm just going to sleep in during summer and I'm just going to not worry about anything. I'm going to be relaxed and lazy and all those things. Well, old habits die hard and our, our hobbies, <laughs> we become bigger kids with bigger hobbies, more serious hobbies and bigger commitments and activities and trips. And none of those things are bad, but the danger comes when they get out of whack when they get out of order. And we start to notice, I'm, I'm running to all these things, but they don't fill me up. Because exercise can't save you. And youth sports can't save you. And watching TV can't save you. And Facebook can't save you. Anything you can eat or drink can't save you. That's why the gospel matters. And so, 
we start to run to those things and if we get things out of whack, it starts to crunch our worship time and then it becomes an option on a buffet line of many different things. It starts to crunch our community time and life group and you wake up one day and realize, I'm a grown adult and I don't have any friends. And it starts to crunch in on our time with God and it goes from being this beautiful relationship that's alive and vibrant to some of the weeds and some of the flowers that you see around town that are just dead and wilted. What's the condition of your faith and what's the summer going to mean for it? Are you just going to kind of coast through the summer or are you going to ramp up and believe that God is something incredible in store? Our faith, when not attended to, becomes almost like a stale chip. You ever gone for the bag of chips and you just realize they're stale? If we're not careful over the summer, our faith can get stale. And so here in the beginning of Romans, Paul says, I want all of you to experience a relationship with Jesus that's just not one slice of the pie. I want your relationship with Jesus not just be one more thing on the buffet line. I want it to be everything. (laughs) The gospel is everything. Because it can intersect your life, Paul says, just like it did mine and turn it upside down to where nothing else matters and then all these other things start to find their proper place. There's nothing wrong with sports. There's nothing wrong with exercise or hobbies or trips or family vacations or any of that. But they make terrible gods, especially during the summer. (laughs) And things get all out of whack because when the gospel gets a hold of you, Paul says, well, nothing else matters. And I want to end today with a story about somebody that knows that power of the gospel very well. And his name is Tedessa. Tedessa is a pastor that I heard about in, uh, in southern Ethiopia. And I think we got a map up here. Ethiopia is there in eastern Africa, right on the coast. And we're going to have you listen to a story that's told by uh, Wes Stafford, who's the president of uh, the ministry called Compassion International. And he spent some time in Ethiopia And he got a glimpse of the power of the gospel. This church in Ethiopia is under persecution and has been uh, by the communist regime for many years. And that means to be a Christian, you risk your life. That means if you want to worship, if you want to read your Bible, if you want to share your faith, you're risking getting beaten up, tortured, even killed. And that's the fact of the the reality that Tedessa lives in. He's this young uh, Ethiopian pastor. And where we're going to pick up this story is he's just escaped being electrocuted and hung for his faith. He was preaching the gospel at a friend's funeral and they arrested him. They tried to electrocute him and God blew out the circuits. It didn't work. They tried to hang him and the rope broke. And where Wes is going to pick up the story is sharing about his encounter with Tedessa. And as you hear this story, I want you to think, What is the power of the gospel? And have I truly encountered this Jesus? So let's listen to his story. I met Tedessa just hours after that. He was walking up this hill slowly and painfully where I was at the top. And when I met him, I said, Pastor Tedessa, I represent tens of thousands of American Christians who know your plight in Ethiopia right now, and we're praying for you. And he says, oh, thank you, Wes. And when you go back, please tell them that we're praying for them too. And I said, oh, I will. And he walked on and I thought, wait a minute, what do you do when you just escaped death? And we called out to him and said, where are you going? And he says, oh, you don't want to know. And we said, yeah, we really do. Where are you going? And he said, 
We're on our way to preach at a funeral. I caught up to him. I ran up to this man and I said, but before you go, you said that you pray for us. When you pray for us in the West, what on earth do you pray for us? Pastor Sedessa said, oh, brother, he said, our suffering you have seen, it's severe and it's awful, but it's nowhere near as serious as your suffering. And I said, really? Can you tell me? Well, he says, well, can you tell me? He says, here in Ethiopia with this kind of pressure, we pray all day long because we need God in our lives if we're going to get as far as today's sunset. But I'm told in America, things are okay. You've pretty well got it in order. It's possible for a follower of Christ to not pray all day long, I hear. And some people tell me they can go all week. Is that possible, Wes? And I said, yes, Tedessa, that, that is possible. And he said, we risk our lives over here to gather for fellowship. We need one another in the body of Christ. We only meet together in the ravines of the mountains and only in the dead of night and only when it is no moon and pitch black. It's worth the risk because we need one another. He says, but I'm told that there's a church all over almost every street corner in the, in the United States. You can go there and you are free to worship. Nobody runs in, nobody drags you away, nobody beats you. But I'm told that on a nice day, many Christians would rather go on, what do you call it, a picnic? <laughs> than go to church. And I said, yes, you're right, brother. That's true too. And he said, we had one copy of the scriptures in my church. Somebody found it and I tore it up. And I said, really? You tore it up? And he said, I had to. I distributed the pages and my congregation memorized that book. We could not be caught with it. And so in the deep valleys in the middle of the night when I am preaching, I say, I need Isaiah 58. Who has Isaiah 58? <laughs> and out of the darkness, Isaiah 58 stands up and I hear God's word from the heart of one of my congregation. He says, but I'm told in America, even non-Christians have Bibles. You have as many as you want. Christians have seven or eight of them. And it's possible that some of them go all day without, even though it's in your hands, reading these scriptures. And some go from Sunday to Sunday without opening. Is that possible? And finally I said, stop it. <laughs> you're right. You're right. I will tell them and pray for them. And pray for them. Maybe it's us that needs the prayers. Maybe it's us that needs to kind of take a step back today and get some perspective about what it means to follow this Jesus. <laughs> the incredible thing is that I hear that story and then I hear Paul's heartbeat. <laughs> for I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of Jesus Christ for salvation. I don't know about you, but I want to know the Jesus that Tedessa knows. Don't you? I want, to, I want to experience the power of the gospel that would make somebody risk their life over and over and over again because it doesn't matter if I die because <laughs> I'm going to be with him no matter what. Paul later says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. How about that posture of worship? Wes goes on to tell the story that this persecuted church, 
that's meeting in caves and nooks and crannies and, and dark alleys, wherever they can get their hands on the scripture, wherever they can have koinonia and mutually encourage each other. He said that this persecuted church that are risking their lives doubled in size, tripled in size, quadrupled in size during the persecution. Puts things in perspective. I want to know that gospel. And I don't know if I do. I'm just going to, I want to know that in a deeper way than I ever have before. I want to know the Jesus that Tedessa knows. I'm just tired of putting in our time. At some point for you, doesn't it get old coming and going through the motions and mouthing the words? Is that what life is about? Or is it about finding something that's worth giving your life to? That's the gospel that Paul talks about. That's the book of Romans. And that's where we're going the next couple months. And we invite you along for the ride. I pray that today we would engage in that Bible like we never have before as a church. I pray that we would engage in community. I pray that you would engage in worship like you never have before. And that as we sing today, that you would just engage in that. Not worrying about what anybody thinks around you, but because you've experienced the power of the gospel and you can't keep it to yourself. You got to tell somebody. You got to invite somebody. You got to say, you got to come and experience this Jesus. It's too good to keep to yourself. Let's stand together.